Oh, good morning, everyone. As uh, Henry said, uh, I am from uh, Walthamstow Central uh, Baptist Church, currently one of the uh, elders there. I have been here to preach before, but uh, that was back before the pandemic, so uh, quite a while ago. So it's good to be with you here uh, this morning and uh, again this evening uh, as well. Now, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5 which is the passage we're going to be looking at. I think you had a message uh, not that long ago on Ephesians 5, verse 21, looking at your uh, church website, and we're going to be looking at the, uh, the verses following on uh, from that, but we will read verse 21 as well. It's on page 1162, on page 1162, and from verse 21 of chapter 5 where we read this uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its saviour now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies for he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ did the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church however that each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband well this is the word of our God let us pray shall we Father, as we come to look at your word together, we pray that you would help us. And we pray that we may know our souls being nourished by your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wrote uh, an email uh, to Henry on Tuesday uh, requesting that someone lead the service. And I said, I'm feeling somewhat... Uh, physically and uh, emotionally drained at the moment. Now, uh, the reason for that was because um, my wife and I had uh, just been celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary, uh, our golden wedding. And what happened is my daughter had come over from America uh, and her husband and two children. And so they were with us for three weeks. And then together with the other two 
children and all their various add-ons, uh, we had a holiday together in Anglesey. Uh, and uh, there was also a church celebration and then there were subsequent family celebrations over in Orpington where uh, Pat's, my wife Pat's family lives. So there's quite a bit of coming and going. So much driving, I don't do a lot of driving, but up to Anglesey, then I went to Liverpool, then over to Sheffield. Then, So by the end of it all, I was feeling a bit, bit drained. Um, and my daughter and her husband and two children had just left that morning. So I was feeling a bit sad as well because they'd gone back home. Well, we wanted to, sancti- uh, to celebrate our golden wedding because basically we wanted to say thank you to the Lord. Now, it was not our achievement that we stayed married for 50 years. It's just a blessing from God. And we wanted to acknowledge him with all the various uh, people that we met uh, during that time. So this kind of seems a suitable passage to preach on after all of that. This passage in Ephesians about wives and husbands. I wonder what we would want to say in our day and age is really important about marriage. I suppose one of the things um, we would want to say is uh, that it's a man and a woman. Not same-sex marriage. That's ruled out by the word of God. It is between man and woman. And we want to say too, would we not, that it's it's, uh, marriages for life. Or at least until death us depart. And in this passage, we see that marriage is, is modelled on the relationship between Christ and the church. And it's Christ and the church that we're going to major on uh, in, this, in this message. But as you go through the passage, you will uh, see there in verse 20. 23, uh, as the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You see the the modelling there on Christ and the church. And then in verse uh, 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then again in verse uh, 28, uh, we have in this same way. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. You see the closeness there that there is between husband and wife? And then it's just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Uh, And then uh, he even goes back to the Old Testament uh, in uh, uh, verse uh, 31. We read, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's why we, uh, Henry read the passage about uh, the creation of, of Eve for uh, uh, Adam there in Genesis chapter 2, because it relates to this passage that we're dealing with. And it's about Christ and the church. This is what Paul specifically says. This mystery is profound, verse 32, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage is above everything else, and perhaps this is what is most significant about marriage. It is meant, in God's purposes and his intent, to be a picture, an illustration of the relationship between the Christ and the church. Christ and his bride. This is why marriage cannot be same sex. You know, this is the big this is the big reason 
because it illustrates Christ and his bride. You can't get that with a woman and a woman and a man and a man. It's got to be a man and a woman. And equally, why it's still death as depart. It's meant to reflect the faithful love of the Saviour, which is everlasting. And so faithfulness is at its heart. So it is till death us depart, reflecting the faithful love of Christ for his people. So husband and wife is a picture of Christ and the church. And it is that relationship between Christ and the church that we're going to think about from now on particularly. So look at verse uh, twenty. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So there we have that statement. Christ loved the church. Now we're very familiar with that idea, aren't we, as Christians? But it should strike amazement into our hearts. Christ loves us. Why should he love us? Why should he? If you go back to uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it speaks of our rebellion and our fallenness. Let me read these verses to you. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's what we were. Enslaved to sin. Lives orientated around the prince of this world. That's what we were. And it was in that state that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her upon the cross. Isn't that amazing? In fact, you go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself. Isn't that amazing? I mean, before the foundation of the world, God, knowing that what we would be like in all our rebellion, in all our fallenness, yet he chose us. And Christ came and evidenced that love to us. Now, it, it raises a question. How has Christ loved us? Okay, he loves us. How has he loved us? Three things. Now, don't get too excited when I get to the end of these three things, because there are four more things to come. Okay? And uh, the letter S features quite heavily uh, in these various points that I'm going to bring to you. Well, the first way in which Christ loves us is that it is a sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. So uh, we read that uh, Christ loved us. Verse uh, 25, I can get into the right epistle. Verse 25, uh, Christ loved us and gave himself up 
for her. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A sacrificial love. Now it's interesting, just going back to marriage a moment, when, when you read through this passage, uh, in our day and age, uh, the woman's life, uh, what love, is, is described as a submissive love. And, you know, women can get a bit uppity about that. Uh, you know, in our day and age, you can imagine reading that in to a bunch of uh, unbelievers. What? Women have got to be submissive? But everyone seems to completely overlook the fact that the husband's love is to be sacrificial. He's to sacrifice himself for her. Uh, submissive love might be a, 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 a tough demand, but a sacrificial love. Why? Because Christ sacrificed himself for the church when they were in that condition and this is stated elsewhere Romans chapter 5 verse 8 God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us or 1 John 4 verse 10 in this is love though that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins Christ loved us with his sacrificial love and he came and he died for us upon the cross of Calvary and there, as I'm sure you know so well, he took to himself the punishment for our sin. Now all of that fallenness that is our human condition since Adam, it all fell upon Jesus and he took the wrath of God and the wrath of God was not lessened in any way because it was his son. No, it was the full extent of what our, of what our sin deserved. Do you remember when he hung on the cross, he cried out, I thirst. Imagine that. This is the one who had said to the woman at the well, you know, believe in me and I will give you a, a water of life that will be forever. And there upon the cross, he cries out, I thirst. It's as though, indeed, it, it, it isn't just as though. This is the fact of the man. He was taking all the aridness of our sinful life upon himself, knowing the thirst of hell as he hung there upon the cross. That's what he did. It's a sacrificial love. You can't help comparing it with how Eve was created. Uh, that we read earlier, that Henry read earlier to us. You remember that Eve was uh, created from Adam's rib. She was taken out of the side of Adam. And in the same way, the church, who is Christ's bride, Christ's Eve, if you like, do you remember how his side was pierced and water and blood flowed out the redeeming price of our salvation so there is a sense in which the church Christ's bride has been taken out of his side through his redeeming work on the cross why has he done such things for us because he loves us and he's shown us his love sacrificially but secondly it is also a sanctifying love we sang earlier didn't we about being washed 
and sanctified. Uh, Look at verse 26. He gave himself up for that he might sanctify her, having her cleansed by the washing with the word. That he might sanctify her. Uh, As you probably know, the word sanctify means to, to set apart. Set apart for himself. Having washed her, we're told. Having cleansed her by the washing of water. That is a picture of being cleansed from our sin. You think about baptism, don't you? And we're, we're immersed in water. And of course, water cleanses physically the outward body. And it is a picture of the inward cleansing power of the blood of Jesus from sin, from all sin. Hey, would have cleansed from all sin. Uh, there is no one so good that they don't need this cleansing. There is no one so bad that they can't turn to Christ and find this cleansing. And that's what he's done for us to set us apart for himself. Now, to receive that cleansing, of course, it requires repentance and faith. We have to own up to our sin. We have to turn from our sin. And we have to turn away from our sin, but in faith turn to Christ and trust him and rest ourselves in all that he has done on our behalf. We turn away from ourselves, we give up on self. The world so often talks about believing yourself. Now when I became a Christian I gave up on myself. And you turn to Christ and you bank everything upon him. So we need to repent. And, but, but how can we do that? After all, by nature, we are rebels. So how can we possibly respond to this call to repent and believe? How can we receive this cleansing? Well, the answer is in the, 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 the phrase there, Cleansing her by the washing of water. Washing of water. What's Paul talking about there? Well, what I think he's talking about there is the regeneration that there is by the Holy Spirit. The washing of water is a picture of regeneration. And you get that spelled out in Titus 3 and verse 5. He says this, Paul writes this. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's only by this omnipotent action of God into our lives, by his Spirit, that regenerates us, that enables us to then repent and believe and know this cleansing from sin and Christ has poured out such sanctifying love upon us you'll also notice there in verse uh, 26 that it talks about the washing of water with the word so in other words this regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is in tandem 
with the word. The proclamation of the word. The proclamation of the gospel. So for instance, when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says this to them. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You see, the Spirit, they received the Spirit by believing what they heard. Well, what is it they heard? Well, it was the proclamation of the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. So as they heard that word, so the regenerating work of the Spirit happens in tandem with those two, with that, the Word and the Spirit. Now I'm not saying there aren't times, remarkable times, when in, in miraculous ways people can be turned to the Lord. You know, I've heard, read of things about people who have had dreams and so on and so forth. And I don't want to disbelieve those stories, but, it will, but when they are true, and when it's a true conversion, people will inevitably led, be led to come in contact with the proclamation of the word and then it will unveil, reveal to them what's happened to them. The word and the spirit. The message of the word. Now as a consequence of the Lord doing this in us and for us there is an ongoing work of the spirit and the word in our lives. Being a Christian is not just about being forgiven, is it? It's about having received this new life, which will then express itself and be evidenced by holy living. We can't have forgiveness without being launched into a holy life. And the call for greater and greater holiness, a growing in it, what will eventually one day result in us becoming like Jesus. Not in this life, but in the next life. So, for instance, going back in Ephesians itself to chapter 4 and uh, verse uh, 15, he, he says this, Paul says this, rather, in fact, I'll... Uh, yeah, I'll go back to verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather, speaking the love, the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see there the thought of growth? And at the heart of it, speaking the truth, the word of God in love. There's this ongoing work of the Spirit applying the word to our hearts so that we will grow and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sanctifying love. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, and finally a satisfied love. The love of Jesus for his church is not a frustrated love. 
It is a perfectly satisfied love. So we read in chapter 5 and verse 27. Chapter 5 and verse 27. Washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Now that to my mind is is looking forward to that great day when Christ comes again. It's the end product, of work, as it were, of Christ's work within us. And when we see him, Scripture tells us, when we see him, we shall be like him. And of course, Christ is sinless. He is perfect. He is glorious. And so the church is going to be holy, without blemish, bringing satisfaction pleasure to the saviour and let's be quite clear about this you see as the saviour looks upon us in that day he will say perfect sinless church is a consequence of our work no as a consequence of his work we will be the fruit of what he has achieved so when the father looks upon us he loves us why well supremely he loves his son but he will love us and loves us with the same love with which he has for his son because when he looks upon us he sees the consequence and the fruit of his son's work in us which on that day will be perfect so it's all to his praise and all to his glory. So we read in um, Revelation. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Crying out hallelujah. For the Lord our God the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult. And give him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine living, bright and pure. For the fine living is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So if Christ's love is a satisfied love, what about us? We should be satisfied, should we not, by his love for us? A sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, a satisfied love. We too should be satisfied. Do you ever think about heaven? I sometimes think as Christians we need to think about it more often. We need our hearts lifted up. We need to remember what our destiny. I mean, in the nitty gritty of everyday life, this can seem so permanent, can't it? But it's not. Heaven's the permanent thing. And as his people, that's where we're going. Now you've had three things. There are four more things to come. These are Louis a little bit quicker. In response to this, what should our attitude be? Well, the first thing is we need to savour. We need to savour the Saviour. As I look around the world, it's sad, isn't it? 
you see people pouring themselves out, wanting to live big lives. I don't think there's anything wrong in wanting to live a big life. But they're doing it for such little gods. Little, tiny, inconsequential gods pouring their lives out. And really anything can be a god. Anything that we're serving. Other than anything that we're making the focus of our lives other than Jesus. Such little gods. As I look back on my life, it seems to me like a little life. A little life. But that doesn't make me sad because I've been serving a big God. A big God. And in a sense, that's the biggest kind of life that there is, isn't it? To serve the true and living God who is a big God. Eternal life forever. Even little old me. Yes, because of Jesus. Hallelujah. The world and its little gods. Philippians 3 verse 7 8 says this. This is Paul, his testimony. Whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He is our chief treasure. And we express it in thanksgiving. Do we not? Ephesians 5 verse 3. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, because we savour the Lord. He is our treasure. Secondly, there is in this love of Christ strength for the soul. We are so loved. He will never let us go. Philippians 1.6 I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Jesus himself said, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. He won't ever let us go. No one will snatch us out of his hand. Heaven is where we're going. Reflect on the great love of Christ. When we share communion tonight, we look back, yes. We look up to where Christ is now, but we also look forward till he come. He is coming back. And thinking of these things can strengthen the soul. You know, I'm going home. That's such, gives such strength, doesn't it? When times are tough, when circumstances are difficult, when we're unwell. And we can say with the psalmist, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Strength for the soul. Thirdly, let's serve each other. Christ loves us. And if we know that, then how can we but help love one another? 
Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How should not we then following such a saviour serve one another? We need to come together, don't we? Welcome to those of you that are watching on the stream. And it's great if you can't get to church to be able to have this. But could you get to church? You see, we cannot serve one another properly if we're not actually here together. We can't love one another properly. We're not here together. Now, I know there are those that can't get to church, particularly the elderly, housebound, and it's up to us to go to them and love them and serve them. But we make it our aim, do we not, to serve each other. And then the third, the fourth thing here, not only saviour the saviour, not only strength for the soul, not only serve each other, but also salvation for others. Well, you've got your study this week about telling others. But it is not the love of Christ for us, not motivation enough to go out and tell others about this wonderful saviour that we've come to know and that they too need to come to know the great love of Christ for his church for his people for you and for me sacrificial sanctifying and satisfied love in response that our savour the saviour find strength for the soul serve each other and tell of salvation to others let's pray Father God, we want to thank you that you have so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son. Such love, Father, as he lived for us, as he died for us, as he rose for us, as he ascended for us, and as he is coming back for us. Oh, Father, help us not to be take these things for granted but to be gripped by it motivated by it filled with it to overflowing for your glory and for our blessing we pray in Jesus name Amen